Well, good morning, church family, and to all our guests in the room or tuning in online, uh, welcome to you as well. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. You're going to need a copy of God's Word. Go ahead and grab that and make your way to 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, 1 Peter has been been tough to hear some of the truths, heavy truths of the last several weeks as we looked at a couple weeks ago, um, submitting to authority that God has ordained and placed in our lives. And then uh, last week we looked at how we love and serve one another, and we looked at the workplace specifically and what that, that looks like, and even talked about the injustices in the world and the tensions in the world and how we as believers interact in that. And then uh, Peter's going to come again this week, and he's going to talk about how husbands and wives should love and interact together. So Peter's been coming hard and heavy at us with these different truths, these different commands, but we're going to be faithful to stick to God's word because we as a church believe that this is the word of God speaking to us. So we preach expositionally through it. We go chapter by chapter. And what that means is sometimes we have harder topics to hit or heavier issues to deal with. But we're going to be faithful to God's word because it's what we want to do. This isn't Ryan's agenda. This is the Lord's agenda because it's not Ryan's church. It's the Lord's church. And so we're going to continue to see what God would have to say to us in this passage today. So we'll pick up in verse 1 and we'll go through verse 7. Follow along with me. As I read the word of God, it says, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that if, even if some don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, that they would see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. With an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is a very precious thing. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray this morning. God, this passage um, may be hard to hear, but we know it's even harder for us to act on. So we need your grace today. We need you to soften our hearts to hear and receive your word well. Ask that you would give us this grace that we would be able to see your great heart for us through these words. And Father, I pray for those in this room in particular who are wives and marriages that are difficult and even sometimes are more than difficult. I ask that you would comfort them and let this passage speak directly to them today. I ask that you would help them to see and be reminded of your enormous love for them. Lord, I also pray for the men in this room that you would help us to use our strength to serve and love others. Lord, help us to consider others as more important than ourselves. Lord, let us be men who love well and lead well for the glory of your name. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Well, a while back, I went to the uh, Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, 
And there's a lot of different things you can see in this museum, but one of the places that I spent a little time in that I found fascinating, going in I didn't think I would enjoy, was actually the, the gems and the, the stones, rare gems and stones that you find across the world. And you go in from room to room, and there were multiple rooms that were there. They actually had uh, one room that had the Hope Diamond, the largest diamond that we have that you could look at. And it didn't matter which room you walked into, they all looked very similar to this, this image you see on the screen. They all were in a very dark room, and then there was just kind of, honestly, average everyday lights that you would kind of see here that were angled and directed towards the gym so you could see through every facet the beauty of that gym. But they were just everyday lights, but when they were shined on it, you could see these reflections of great beauty. Now, I tell you that this morning because I believe that this is what Peter has been doing through these passages these last couple weeks. What he's doing is he's holding up the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what Christ has done for us, and then he's shining everyday lights through this beautiful gem, the gospel, so that we can see in every single facet the beauty of Christ in us, living through us. So he talks about the everyday light of authority and leadership. Then he holds up the light of the gospel, or he holds up the gem of the gospel, and he shines the light through it. Everyday life, we deal with authority. We deal with leadership. We deal with these things. How are we as the believers to live in light of the gospel because of this? And then he talked about how do we live and work and serve in such a way in an unjust world that people look at us and they see the hope that we have in our hearts. Once again... Holds up the gospel, shines the light of everyday life, work and serving other people through it, that we would see through that facet the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he's doing in this passage today. He's holding up Christ again, he's holding up the good news of the gospel, and he's shining the everyday light of marriage in that. And he's telling us, this is how we live, this is how we uh, uh, respond in such a way that reflects Jesus Christ in our everyday life. That as we live in a dark world, people would see the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so there's just two points. Actually, I actually have several subpoints for us today, but just two points. And the first is this. We want to look at what a woman who hopes in God does. A woman who hopes in God. Now, we were talking about this as a group of pastors this week, talking about this text and praying over this. And it was interesting because they're like, what are you talking about, a... Uh, a woman who hopes in God, and you're doing a whole, whole, whole title of the message is a marriage that hopes in God. Well, if you look very carefully in verse 5, it says, this is how holy women who hoped in God lived. This is, a, this is a message ultimately about hope again. His whole book is about a living hope that we have, and it's roping it back in. And it doesn't say, this is how uh, women should, should live who hope in an institution of marriage. It's not what it says. It doesn't say, this is how we live and we hope in, in, in what society says that we should live or act. That's not what it says. It doesn't even say, this is... For people who hope in other men. That is not what it says. It says for women who hoped in God. The hope in God is what is the firm foundation, the framing for the house in which we live in. It's for our marriage. It's based on hoping in God. 
And so I hope if you are single and you're in this room today, don't check out. Don't say, well, this doesn't have to do anything with me. No, this is a passage about hope. This is a passage about people who are looking to God and hoping in him. And that's why I believe Peter starts in verse 1 and he says, likewise. Likewise. Like what? What are you talking about, likewise? Well, if you remember last week where we finished up, is where Peter's just gone through this, this beautiful picture, this beautiful list of what Christ has done for you and for me. What he has done to bring salvation. How Christ, though he was reviled, though people lied about him, said he was guilty when he was innocent, he didn't revile in return. He didn't try to lie and deceive in return. No, Christ humbly submitted himself to the will of the Father. And so when he says here, the beginning of chapter 3, likewise, he's wanting us to think back to Jesus. He's wanting to go back to where our hope is founded. It's founded in Christ. And so he's wanting us through the lens of Jesus Christ to examine our life. You see, Jesus dealt with all those injustices, but it says he entrusted himself to the Father who judges justly. Jesus hoped in God. And then he says, likewise. This is what it looks like for wives to hope in God in their marriages. For husbands to hope in God in their marriages. So two subpoints here for women who hope in God. First, excel to a higher conduct from a higher calling. Excel to a higher conduct from a higher calling. Peter's first conduct that he mentions in here, he's, he's encouraging wives to, to be subject to their husbands. Or some translations have um, submit to their husbands. And this can, this can be a difficult thing to hear, and I think it's because there's a lot of confusion about what we hear when we hear that word. Uh, a pastor friend of mine shared this story that um, he talks about, that there was two friends of his, it's a true story, they were having a conversation one day, these two ladies, and one lady was talking about how it's, it's amazing what seals can do. And, she, and the other lady, the second lady, is like, yeah, it is, it's incredible what seals can do. First lady's like, yeah, I mean, I've been to their school, like I've seen their training, and it is a rigorous training that they, that they do to be able to accomplish everything that they do. And the second lady's like, I, I, I bet you so, it's got to be rigorous training. I mean, for a seal to be able to, to balance a ball on its nose for that long, like, that is crazy. That, that's got to be rigorous training. And the, the first friend of my friend said, wait a second, what? What are you talking about? Like, I'm talking about Navy SEALs <laughs> and the training that they go through and how rigorous that is and what they're able to accomplish. And though they're using the same word of SEALs, they have a totally different picture of what it's communicating, what it's saying. And in the same way, I think that's what happens when we come to passages like this. We read it and we filter it through different filters. And so we look at maybe how this kind of statement was modeled in the homes that we grew up in. So some of us hear it and we have like a positive view of this. Some of us hear it and we have a negative view of this just because we've seen it modeled in our life. Or we filter a statement like this through the way our culture sees this or the way it's portrayed in Hollywood. And we just are confused. And so I, 
I pray, I hope that we can bring some clarity to what Peter's talking about as he says these words and writes these things. So what does be subject mean? Well, first I want us to to start with what it's not. There's several things that this is not. I want to bring clarity to this, and then we'll highlight a couple things that it is. First, being subject or submission is not a scale of value. It's not a scale of value. I mean, I want you to think about this. Theologically understand these truths. When he talks about this, submission is not a scale of value. You submit to somebody who's more valuable than you. We read the scriptures, and the Bible tells us that Jesus submitted to the will of God the Father. Jesus submitted to the will of God the Father. Now, we know theologically that there's a trinity. Our God is one, made up of three persons, that are co-equals. The Father is not greater than the Son. Jesus is not lesser value than God the Father. And yet Jesus humbly submits to the will of the Father. Jesus is not less valuable than God the Father. They are equals. And the Spirit is not less valuable than Jesus or the Father. No, those three are one. So when it speaks and says these words, this is not a scale of value. We'll actually unpack that a little bit more before the time is done today. The second thing it's not is submission is not to all men. This is incredibly important. Look at this passage. It says, to your own husbands. Ladies, this is a decision that you get to make. And so I would just encourage you, especially those that are single, to evaluate well who you want to follow. Because you get to choose who you submit to, who you're subject to. It's a choice that you get to make. And so choose wisely. Choose wisely. When it talks about submission, it's, it, it, what it doesn't mean is that it's identical in all marriages. It looks different. It's going to look different depending on the needs of your household. See, Peter doesn't stop and unpack what everything this means. He doesn't give a, a list of 15 different things of how you're tangibly to live this out. And I think it's because it is to your own husband. So wife, you should know and love and respect your husband to know a way that you can care for him and to encourage him. And that's going to look different for each and every man. And so when it says these words right here, you got to understand, it's going to look a little different. There'll be some similarities, but it's going to look a little different for each marriage. Fourthly, submission is not putting the will of your husband above the will of God. That's extremely important. Submission is not putting the will of your husband above the will of God. Your commitment to God is both the guideline for which you walk and the guardrails that keep you safe when you know what behavior is appropriate. We read God's word. We know his will for our life. And we make sure that we're living out God's will for our life. It is the guideline and the guardrails for us. So it doesn't mean that we would do something that would cause us to Sin against the Lord as we submit to our husbands. The fifth thing is it doesn't mean that you keep yourself as a doormat of perpetual abuse. That's not what this passage is teaching. And I don't have time this morning to unpack every single situation that might be 
being dealt with in this room. It may require more personal conversations with a counselor or maybe a strong Christian friend. Ladies, maybe somebody in the women's ministry here at our church. Or you sit down with a pastor and you talk through the different struggles that you're having. How do you do this well? You read the Bible. You say, this is my context. How do I tangibly live out these truths well in my life to honor the Lord and to respect my husband? In every, every marriage, there's going to be sin and struggle. There's going to be butting of heads. It's just going to happen. But do not give up on your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Work on your marriage. At the same time, don't allow perpetual abuse to happen in your marriage. Make sure you know how to deal with that in a healthy way. All right, so what is submission? If it's none of those things, then what is submission? First, it's an invitation to your husband to lead. Now, as you give him an invitation to lead, ladies, it requires a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness because we are sinners pursuing a holy Savior. So we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things wrong. Be patient with us, but encourage us to lead and forgive us when we fail. It's also a reflection of the gospel. It's a reflection of the gospel. I hinted at it earlier where it says likewise, and it points back to Christ and how he submitted to the will of the Father and how he lived and died and rose again. All of that is a a glimpse of what Christ has done. And now he says, likewise, live in this way. This is a reflection of the gospel. How we live this out in our marriages will point people to Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't only submit to the will of the Father by going to the cross. I want you to think about the life of Christ and the continual submission, the continual of considering others is more important than himself. He did it over and over again. And let's be honest, there was nobody more important than Christ. There was nobody that was superior to Christ. No one. And yet Jesus saw our greatest need and he came from heaven and came to earth. I mean, that is submission to serve us. I mean, let that settle in. The God of all creation put diapers on as he came to be born as a baby in a manger i mean let that truth settle in that's a that's a picture of what it looks like to serve others to submit and be subject jesus did this he didn't just do that but you fast forward in his life to where uh, it's the night before he goes to the cross And he's there having what we call the Lord's Supper with his disciples. We're going to actually celebrate that at the end of our service today. But before they do all that, Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. And what's fascinating about that is the disciples are arguing, and they're having an argument over who's the greatest. I'm the greatest here, so I get this seat. I'm the greatest, so I can sit on the right hand of Christ. I'm the greatest, so I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. I'm not going to serve in that way. And then Jesus, the greatest... Takes a towel and water, and he stoops down and he washes the feet of these men who would deny him and betray him and forsake him. And Jesus served. 
He was subject to even his disciples as he poured out his life for them. Then he gets up from that moment. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what we're talking about where he's wrestling with God the Father. He's wrestling within the Trinity of being obedient and being submissive to the Father. And he says, Father, can this cup pass for me? And this is a cup of wrath. The Bible is clear that when we sin against God, that there is wrath in his heart that comes because he is a just God and injustices have happened. And so somebody's going to drink that cup. You'll drink it in eternity feeling the wrath of God, or Christ will drink it for you on the cross. And Jesus, knowing the weight of that wrath, he's saying, if there's any other way, let it be. But not my will, but your will be done, Father. Jesus is submissive, even in that point. And then he's submissive to the point of the cross, As he goes and he lays down his life for us, bearing the weight of our sin and the wrath in our place. This is submission. It's painful. It's difficult. But submission to the Father. Submission is a lifestyle of all believers because it was the lifestyle of Christ. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, and so we submit to Jesus Ephesians even writes and tells us, speaking of marriage, that we even, in some angles, submit to one another. And so if you're struggling to to humble yourself, to think about submitting to others, then you're going to have an incredibly difficult time submitting to the Lord Jesus. But this is what God's Word has called us to do. Secondly, for a woman who hopes in God, would you display a deeper beauty from a deeper place? Would you display a deeper beauty from a deeper place? That's what verses 3 and 4 are talking about. He says in verse 3, don't let your adorning be external. Now, verse 3, once again, kind of clarify some things, make sure we're all on the same page. It's not a prohibition to fixing your hair. So we can't braid our hair, but we have to wear our hair in, in messy buns all the time. That's not what he's writing about in this passage. Not a prohibition to braiding your hair or wearing of jewelry. Any more than it is to putting on clothes. Did you see this? Peter writes this, and and he says, you know, don't, don't focus on your hair, don't focus on the jewelry, and don't worry about your clothes so much. But by all means, we should put on clothes, right? Peter's not not encouraging a a nudist colony, right? That's not what he's saying when he writes these words. What he's saying is that we need to have the substance of our lives be around hoping in God, not in our beauty. Because beauty is fleeting. And I think it's important that we that he talks about this specifically to women because in our culture today, we are taught that beauty is our value for women. That that beauty is what creates our worth and even gives us power in the world that we live in. And so if we're not careful, our culture will indoctrinate us and get women to think that if I just have greater physical beauty, then I'll have more worth, I'll have more value, I'll have more power. But the Bible is clear that beauty is fleeting. Now, the Bible doesn't say that women shouldn't be beautiful. No, there's places in the Bible that actually highlight that. 
and point, have it as a point of emphasis. But it shouldn't be the primary emphasis of our lives. We shouldn't be placing our hopes in this thing that is so quick to evaporate. Instead, we should be investing more of our energy on our hearts. Do you see that in verse 4? Let your adorning be of the hidden person of the heart. So don't just work on your cosmetics. <laughs> work on your character. Don't just work on your skin, but focus on your soul. But the temptation is, is character is so much harder to work on. We can fake an exterior, but to take time to work on our character is extremely difficult. But that's what God's saying is precious to him. That's what really lasts. That's what really has great value. And I'm telling you, once again, we, we need to allow people to see the beauty of the gospel, specifically our families and how we live our lives and how we adorn ourselves. If you have a beautiful exterior, when you go home and you take off your jewelry and you put on your sweat plant pants and all that's left is a harsh heart and evil or or condescending words spoken to your husband or your kids, and your family's going to think this whole thing about Jesus is a joke. It's just a game. It's a facade. And God calls us to be beautiful in the heart. And men, let me just pause and just say this, this includes you also. There are many men that will spend hours sculpting their abs in the gym and never sculpt their character before the Lord. And God calls us to do this, that there's a deeper, deeper beauty that God desires for us to display from a deeper place. Now, how do we live this out practically? What does it look like? How do we adorn our souls with beauty? Well, it's going to say, women, that you should have a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, some people get offended by this. And they think that this means that we need to be introverted and shy and not talk. And that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that, we can't be, that the women can't be extroverted or can't have joy or can't speak. And if they do, that's offensive to God. That's not what it's saying. No, it's interesting. If you go and study these words, a gentle and quiet spirit, it's actually highlighted in multiple places in the Bible. Speak of all believers. But it's highlighted right here because he wants us to realize what it means is this. A gentle and a quiet spirit means that there's a calm heart. And we're not filled with anxiety. He even says at the end of verse 6, do not fear anything that is frightening. I don't know, but I think it's a reflection back to Proverbs 31, where it gives this, this list of, of women and the, the qualities that they have as they love and they care for their families. And in there, one of the things is it says that a woman laughs at the times to come. Laughs at the times to come. What does that mean? It means there's not an anxiousness in our heart of like, what could happen? Well, the, our house could burn down. Something terrible could happen to my kids. And like, oh my goodness, what if my husband doesn't come home tonight? And what if this? And like, you're filled with anxiety and all these things bubbling up. No, God's word is saying, no, no, you need to have a gentle and a quiet spirit. Not one filled with anxiety, but one that's filled with hope in God. And that's what it looks like to Adorn your inner heart with beauty. And then it gives us an example in verse 6. It mentions Sarah. And I'm glad he mentions Sarah as an illustration. Because um, if you go back and you read this, her husband Abraham was 
not a perfect man. <laughs> like by far, by far, he, he failed a ton of times. I mean, he, he really blew it and did some boneheaded things over and over again. I mean, there's even at one point where they're going into the city and Abraham, instead of trusting in God, he's fearful of what the people are going to do in the city. So he's like, you know what? We just got to gotta change some things up so we're going to lie when we go in there. To find favor with these people, Sarah, you just say that you're my sister. This is his wife. Just say you're my sister, and then they'll give you all these different things to try to win your heart, and we'll, we'll actually get treasures and gold from all this stuff. Like, what? That's the dumbest idea ever, Abraham. God's already promised he's going to do many things for you. He's going to fulfill with the things that he said. Trust in the Lord. And then it points to Sarah that even though her husband was far from perfect, she listened and followed Abraham and trusted him, even in his foolish decisions. And you read in verse 6, it says, calling him Lord. That is not an application for any man in this room <laughs> to walk out and say, this is what you should do, telling your wife to do that. Actually, if you go back and read the context of when this statement is said, when Sarah actually says that about Abraham, it's fascinating. Abraham's not even around. Sarah's not there saying, oh, Abraham, my Lord, would you please come here and let me serve you? That's not at all what, what's happening. Sarah's actually by herself speaking to her own heart about something that she thinks is impossible. And even in that moment, she says, Abraham is her Lord. A, time, a sign of just respect and love. Even when she sees all the mistakes that Abraham makes, when she's alone and by herself, she speaks to her own heart to love and respect her husband. That's what she's doing at this time. Now, women, you got to hear this morning from this passage, God knows the heart of men, and that's why he puts passages like this in the Bible, because he created us, he knows how we kind of function, he knows what our hearts long for, and so he's calling women to love and respect and care for their husbands. I've got a, a good friend that said this a while back to me. He said, if I had to choose for my wife to only be able to say one comment to me the rest of the life, whether it's the first comment, I love you, or whether it's the second comment of, I admire you, and I will follow you anywhere. He said, if I had to choose between those two, every time I'm choosing that, I would hear, I admire you. And then I'll follow you. If I could never hear the words, I love you again, I would choose these words because these are better for my heart and my soul. Men desire to be respected. But men, at the same time, you need to hear that your wives desire to be honored and treasured and loved. And these two things go hand in hand. A man who is respected oftentimes pours out love and response. And a woman who is loved and cared for many times respects the husband. And that leads us to our next point, to our men in the room. Be a man who hopes in God. Be a man who hopes in God in your marriage. And he's going to give, in verse 7, he's going to pack it full of several different things that we as husbands should be living out in our lives. And once again, he uses the word likewise to point our minds back to chapter 2 looking to Christ again as our example of how we love and care for our wives. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Once again, don't misread this. Some people will read this and be like, that's so offensive. 
he's writing, and it sounds like he's kind of patting women on the head, like, oh, uh, just try to dwell with her in an, exp- uh, in an understanding way. That's not at all what he's doing. If you actually go and you research this in the original text, this is a word that means to know her. Live with her and know her. Know what makes her feel loved and cared for and valued. Love her. This is an invitation for every husband to get to know your wife. Amen? Don't be overwhelmed by this command because this is not understand every woman, okay? That would be impossible. Once again, it's to know and to love your own wife. To know her. How are you getting to know your wife? How are you getting to see her heart and to treasure her? He's going to tell us right before this, live with her with understanding. One of the ways that you're going to know your wife is truly live with her. And I don't mean you have the same address and you live in the same house as her, although I hope that you do, right? But this word literally means to dwell together. That's what live with means, to dwell together. This is a togetherness. It's not about a location. It's about a unity together. You can have a location and be completely disunified from somebody. And what he's saying here is you want to know your wife well, you want to understand her, then you need to get together and live life side by side with her. And this is what he's calling us to do. You need to look and know and understand that. Husbands, you need to have discernment to perceive when there is distance, when you're not living together with her. This is a big part of marriage. Marriage is always bridge building. Husbands, you need to understand that you're always going to be building these bridges to be closer to your wife forever. Just a part of it. And sometimes it's sin that separates us. There's selfishness in the heart of the, the husband or, or the wife, and there's this gap, there's this chasm between the two of you. And you have to work through those things. You have to forgive. You have to forbear and overlook things so that you come together again. And there's unity and a knowledge and an understanding. And sometimes it's not sin that separates us. Sometimes it's just the busyness of life. We're rushing from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. You turn around and you're like, we, we haven't even had a conversation this week. Like, there's no togetherness. We've just had a, a gap caused by the busyness of life. Husbands, it is your job to lean in and to build that bridge. When you're tired and when you're exhausted and all you want to do is veg, serve and love your wife by listening. By turning off the TV, by putting down the phone and leaning in to find out where her heart is, building that bridge together. This is what Christ did for us, right? The chasm of sin has separated us from him, and he built the bridge through his blood, through his death, so that we could have a relationship with him. And now he's looking at us, he's like, I want you to do the same thing in your marriages. Husbands, also honor your wife. And this word in verse 7 for honor is actually value or respect. We need to see the great value of our wives. And there's nothing about this that's contingent on anything else besides the fact that she's your wife. Do not say, well, I'll value her if she does this and does this and does this and she needs to do this better and then I'll honor her. No, that's not what it says. If she is your wife, 
if you've made a covenant with her before the Lord, what God has brought together, not you and her, what God has brought together, you don't separate. No, you see her and her great value and you love her. Do not just see your wife as her body. Don't just look at her body and value her body. No, value her entire person. Value her heart. Value her soul. She has great worth. She is a treasure in the eyes of the Lord. She needs to be a treasure in your eyes as well. He actually says in verse 7 that she is a co-heir with you. She's a co-heir with you. Now, right before this, I know he says, look at her as a co-heir, but at the same time, she's a weaker vessel. Once again, I don't think this has anything to do with condescension. It's just in a general sense that men are normally physically stronger than women. But that doesn't mean, again, that there's less value there. Just because something's weaker doesn't mean it's less valuable. And I proof of this. All right, you're going to see two pictures that come on the screen right now. Okay? This is the first picture. This is a vase from the Ming Dynasty era. Okay? Beautiful vase. Okay? Now, look at the second picture. It's a brick. Now, let me ask you this question. Which one of these two are stronger? The brick is stronger. Which one of these two is more valuable? The vase is far more valuable. Far more valuable. So when he makes the statement, it's not a condescending statement. It's not at all. We should look at them and see the great value that they have, that they are heirs with us in Christ. This would have been game-changing. If you know the culture of Rome at this time, women didn't get any inheritance. The Roman government didn't allow that. It would pass from man to man to man. And Peter's like, you need to realize this inheritance that Christ gives us is to both male and female. It's to both. We are co-heirs together. And it's not like this one gets a little bit more and this one gets a little bit less. No, we are co-heirs together. There is great value. So men, let us honor our wives extremely well. Let us dwell with them. Let us live together in an understanding way because she is valuable. And then at the end of verse 7, he's going to tell us why. Why we should live like this. That your prayers may not be hindered. This whole year in 2023, we're focusing in on prayer. And some of you have taken some massive steps forward to pray more faithfully, to embrace fasting for praying for certain things, to praying for your church and leadership and praying in a number of different ways. But you need to listen to the word of God right now, men. If you're praying in all these different areas, but you're not loving your wife, valuing her, honoring her, then your prayers are hindered before the Lord. And it makes sense if we really think about it. If you were to mistreat your wife in front of your father-in-law, what favor would you ever expect to receive from your father-in-law? You won't. And if we are going to treat our wife poorly before our heavenly father, then what, what expect do we have that we receive from him that he would hear from us? Man, let us strive to know and value our wives to the glory of God. Now, as we close today, regardless of whether you're in a romantic relationship or not, 
The relationship that we all need right in this room is a relationship with God. And Jesus has made the way for us to have a relationship with him. We weren't chasing after him. We weren't pursuing him. He was pursuing us. He was chasing out us because of his great love. Because of his great love for us. And when there was that chasm, right, Jesus was building that bridge. And so as we close, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on two things. We're going to do two things. One is we're going to pause and we're going to pray, confessing our sins before the Lord. This is what, what God's word tells us to do before we ever take the Lord's Supper. Is that we confess our sins. And once again, this is a submission before the Lord, knowing our failures and our mistakes. And God calls us to do that. We as believers should be marked by confession. And part of it might be a confession of sin first to God, but also to our spouses. Where we have sinned, we haven't fulfilled what God has called us to do and, and confess those sins. And then second, after we spend a little bit of time praying and confessing, is we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I'm so thankful that God gives us this regular reminder as a group of believers that we would take this because it reminds us that forgiveness is available for all of us. That if we trust in Jesus, his blood that was shed for us, his body that was given for us, that even our worst mistakes can be forgiven. So freely confess and then freely receive the forgiveness that's offered to us in Christ. And so I'm going to pray for us to start us. And I would encourage you, if you don't know what to confess before the Lord, then pick back up where we started in the last couple of weeks in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, and just use that as a guide to confess where you've disobeyed God's word and not been obedient to him. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper as our assurance of pardon. Let's pray now. Fathers, we pause to be a people of confession to confess our sins. We want to be faithful to confess our sins because you're faithful to forgive us of our sins when we confess. And so, Father, we think back at weeks ago where we looked, where you told us to abstain from passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul. God, we, we struggle with that. We struggle with these different uh, sins of the flesh, the different things we long for instead of being patient and waiting for you. God, forgive us for, for not being humble and holy before you. Forgive us for that, Lord. God, forgive us when we want to buck authority instead of trusting in your authority and your sovereignty. Lord, as we look at human institutions that we see as broken, God, forgive us when we would slander them, we'd speak evil of them. God, help us to pray for them. And Lord, I pray that you forgive us when we don't pray for them. Lord, help us to be servants who honor everyone, who love the church well, who fear you. Lord, help us even when we look at the injustices of this world and we go through sorrows and suffering. God, forgive us when we choose selfishness instead of following you. And Lord, we praise you for giving us the example. Though you committed no sin, there was no deceit found in your mouth. When you were reviled, you didn't revile in return. God, you entrusted yourself to you who are the just judge. God, forgive us for trusting in ourselves instead of trusting in you. Father, we want to take a moment to pray, confessing the sins that we find within our marriages. God, forgive us where we fall short of where you desire for us to be. 
Help us to reflect your example that you gave us, that we would reflect the gospel, we would reflect your love with our marriages. So Lord, as we pause and in the silence we pray to you, Lord, would you hear our confession and would you forgive? Hear us now, we pray.